Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Susie on in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chicago is one of America's most segregated big cities. The Metropolitan Planning Council recently found segregation cost the region $4.4 billion, that's billions with a B, in lost income every year. And it touches every aspect of residents' lives, from housing and education to healthcare and the economy. A new WTGW documentary series, First Hand Segregation, puts a human face on the impact racial divisions have on folks around the city through 15 personal stories. It airs tonight at WTTW.com slash firsthand. Joining us now to talk about the docuseries are executive producer Dan Protis and director of four episodes of the series, Teresa White. Dan, Teresa, welcome to Reset. Thanks for having us. Dan, we'll start with you. Um, This docuseries is actually part of a larger multi-year and multi-platform project at WTTW called The First Hand. Uh, It's it's covered gun violence, the coronavirus pandemic, and poverty in, in past years. How did First Hand come about? It felt often like there are these really important issues that are facing our community and our country that are too often uh, become abstractions when we talk about them. They are driven by statistics or by theoretical conversations. And what's often missing is the human face. And so we seek to put a human face on some of these issues. And segregation in particular, we tend to get bogged down in historical conversations, which are extremely important. And in fact, the historical conversation around redlining and some of the tools that have historically been used by segregationists are part of what drove us to to tackle this subject this year. But what we also wanted to show was that that history, that, that we're still living with the ghosts of that past, that Chicagoans are still affected by segregation in a multitude of ways. And so uh, through 15 documentaries, we looked at 15 different people who are being impacted by segregation in 15 different ways. And in producing this documentary, you know, you mentioned redlining. What did you learn about how Chicago ended up so segregated? Well, a number of reasons. Actually, many people have said Chicago invented segregation, which in many ways is true. There's redlining, and obviously you and your colleagues at WBEZ have done an excellent job of covering that over the years, the many ways in which redlining and contract buying and a number of other tools have forcibly pushed people apart from each other. And and so then the question is, now we're in 2022, A, why are we still as divided as we are? B, how does that affect us? And C, how might we seek to disrupt segregation? And, And you see a lot of that in this, you know, you would think automatically the, um, the opposite of segregation is integration. So therefore, a logic would lead one to believe that the solution is to integrate. But we, we see many different ways in which people are disrupting segregation in particular. And Teresa can speak to this more specifically. In a story that she directed, we meet a black real estate developer who recognizes that Chicago is segregated and that with that racial segregation comes a segregation of resources. And so how can the tools of real estate be used to redistribute the wealth that has been historically stripped from the black community? 
And Teresa, I want to bring you in here. Uh, that is the story of Courtney Jones, right? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so with Courtney, it's interesting how he kind of brought up the fact that in the black community, you can kind of look around and see dilapidated homes with the X's on it. And then the next couple of weeks or months, you'll see a, a white firm come in and create a different home for that location. And his idea is to actually bring in a group of people from the community to actually redo that, their own community. So instead of having outsiders come in um, into your own community and create a new type of community, you do it yourself. He has, and in the video, you'll see that he has a program for receivers where he teaches young black uh, people of color how to create, how to become receivers and how to just recreate their own communities. And Courtney also mentioned, you know, some of the challenges that receivers and realtors have when trying to develop and um, or even just to show property and for homeowners, black homeowners to be able to buy those houses. Can you talk a little bit about some of those challenges? I think it's just discrimination in general um, and trying to get loans and, and actually having access to understand what a receiver even even is. And so it's really about educating the community so they can come to a level where they're in the actual playing field of, say, be able to do these things. And Dan, what are some misconceptions about segregation in Chicago you hope the series will address? So one, of course, is that people tend to think that segregation is all in the past, and this series definitely sets the record straight on that. And, And I also think, you know, one of the most damaging effects of Chicago's segregation is that too often the only exposure that many of us have to what's going on on the other side of town is through the media and social media, of course, as a subset of the media. And I think this is an opportunity for us to use our project firsthand to expose Chicagoans to what's happening on the other side of the city and to see that that people are are thriving Mm -hmm. despite the city's ugly past and to offer a glimpse of people who are really working in good faith to unify the city. And also maybe just to even give Chicagoans a broader sense of who their neighbors are, because that's another one of the effects of segregation is we tend to have a a very narrowly defined sense of community and to start to think of community in a broader sense Mm -hmm. uh, to include people on the other side of town. Was there anything that, that really surprised you as you were putting this project together? You know, one thing that really jumped out at me, a theme that I did not see coming at all, was the many ways in which it's hard for people to find a place that feels right for them in the city. And in fact, several of the stories that Teresa directed get at this. We see family, the Richards family, driving around the South Side, trying to find a neighborhood where they felt safe and welcomed and also that had the kind of amenities I mean, school, I wouldn't call that an amenity. That's a necessity. Mm -hmm. But amenity is like grocery stores, again, also pretty basic. And we we see another family, Tia Brown's family. They're from the west side. They're finding that the west side neighborhood they're from, Austin, has gotten really expensive. They try to move to the south side. They find that they're actually unwelcome and are discriminated against overtly based on race. Mm -hmm. And so then they end up in another south side neighborhood where they feel like it's violent and they're looking back on the West side, Mm -hmm. the kinds of dilemmas that we tend to think of Chicagoans in the 1950s and sixties confronting are still alive and unfortunately well today. Well, Teresa, um, when folks 
tune in tonight, they will be able to see Ari and Ted Richards' story. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Richards? Yeah, so the Richards are a part of the Jackson Park Highlands. And so from an outsider looking in, that can be a very lovely, beautiful block, which it is. But it's also a community within the South Shore community, which has a lot of violence. So with them, they want a place where their family can just generally thrive. And in the story, you'll see how they're just trying to find a home now because even though that community is has this great spot, it also has a lot of violence. And so, and also the community schools are not the best. So the mother travels every morning in Chicago traffic to go to a school on the north side, and the father walks his daughter to school every morning because he doesn't know if anything's going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. So it's all about um, a family just trying to find the place to thrive. And it's interesting, their children are biracial. And Ted, the father, kind of talks about um, how there's like this struggle to find a place where they can be comfortable and safe in two different ways in terms of their own culture and also mm. in terms of racism. So it's just a story of really trying to figure out how to be comfortable in a city that's so segregated and you have to make choices on what you want in your community. But you can't, it's almost like you can't have it all. Like you're yeah. in this community where they're with in the black community, but at the same time, they don't have enough resources to really thrive. Right. Let's listen to a bit from that story here, Ari and Ted, talking about their search for a new neighborhood in Chicago's South Side. I guess I would say that everyone wants to be in a place where they feel like they belong. And so what segregation does and the inequity of, of resources that it results in leads to being forced to make a choice between belonging and having those best resources. Uh, Teresa, how did you go about finding these 15 Chicagoans um, whose stories you're telling in these series? Well, actually, uh, I believe that was producer Leticia Dickerson and Dan Protest working together to find the stories. But with me, it was when I was assigned the stories, it was basically kind of trying to figure out how to best tell the story. And just like with the Ari and Ted story, it was a matter of figuring out, like, at what point do we follow them to a different school or we do we or do we take Ted walking his daughter to school to show the actual community? So it's for my end, it was a matter of trying to figure out how to best tell their story and make them connect with the, with the actual audience. And, and what was it like meeting um, all the folks uh, whose stories you told, like like Ari and Ted? I mean, I think it was it was actually beautiful because it's, it's none of the stories that I uh, that I told are just people complaining about the community. They're talking about that they actually want to still live there, but they need help and they need more resources. So I think it's beautiful when you have people who are trying to really up, truly thrive in the community and, and uplift it, but at the same time just say, hey, there are some things that need to be fixed here, and we're willing to help if we have the resources to do so. For you, Teresa, why is it important to tell these kinds of firsthand personal stories about people facing issues like segregation in Chicago? Well, definitely, I am a born South Sider. I grew up in the Inglewood neighborhood, and I just know from experience of actually leaving my neighborhood and going to the University of Illinois in Champaign and actually coming back, you start to realize that there are some differences in how people live in general. Once, you know, I, I learned that aspect, I just really wanted to um, shed a light on what people go through. And mm-hmm. I think the best way to do that is to have a firsthand account. You know, in journalism, we go back and forth and telling different sides of the story. But sometimes you just really need to hear a firsthand account from a person who is experiencing something firsthand. Yeah. And Dan, uh, the firsthand segregation project at WTTW goes way beyond this documentary series. Um, what else can people expect from the project in the coming year? 
Yeah, so as you mentioned, there's the 15 documentaries available at wttw.com slash firsthand. There's also six expert talks uh, from experts on segregation. One of them is Tanika Johnson, the founder of the Folded Map Project, Mm -hmm. where she linked up what she calls map twins, so maybe someone who lives at 5500 North with someone who lives at 5500 South. There's also going to be uh, several text journalism pieces, much of it data-driven, which was produced by our partners, the uh, Southside Weekly and the Invisible Institute. And then our, our colleagues at WTTW News will be doing stories throughout 2022. And then also monthly conversations starting with tonight at 6 p.m. with a few of the documentary participants. Now I want to turn to a couple of other voices on this topic and how they're trying to break down the barriers segregation creates in our area. Joining us now is Jose Rico, Executive Director of the community organization Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation Chicago. He'll be giving an expert talk through the First Hand Initiative. Also with us is Nan Parson. She's a resident of Park Ridge and is featured in the docuseries. Uh, Jose, we'll start with you. How did you get involved with First Hand Segregation? Well, uh, you know, it was part of an effort of us doing racial healing circles throughout the city. And somebody heard, one of the producers heard about the racial healing work that we've been doing. You know, been doing this for about four years. And during the pandemic, it's when actually our work has really increased significantly, where we've been doing racial healing circles, about 800 of them, with uh, close to 20,000 people in Chicago. So they reached out to us and said, hey, would you would love to learn more about what you're doing and how uh, your racial healing work is able to address some of the issues of segregation in Chicago. And um, coming to you, Nan, you live in Park Ridge, which is predominantly white. You didn't grow up there, but you you, you moved there. Uh, what made you choose to live there, and what kind of opened your eyes to segregation in the area? Well, we chose to move here because my husband bought a business in town, and I made a visit uh, before we moved here and thought, gee, I would feel comfortable here. Later on, kind of realized the reason I would feel comfortable here is everybody was white, like me, and that was what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And then through your adopted son, it was then you started to notice the differences? I guess it was partly adopting Mark, but I'd been raised, getting a, a more awareness as time went on about the um, racial problems in mm-hmm. the Chicago and Chicago area, and especially in the suburbs, through groups that I belonged to, reading that I did, um, and talking to people about the problems in our area. Uh, Jose, what has your experience been like so far with regards to segregation in Chicago as a whole? Well, you know, as, as a Chicagoan, it's it's something you grew up with, right? Uh, I grew up in uh, Pilsen and, and Little Village's home. And being in a community, of, you know, uh, a Mexican community that really was and still is a great place where I could raise my kids and where I felt really like I belonged and taken care of and everything that was uh, that my parents valued in terms of tradition and culture were there. But then when I w- stepped out of uh, going to Little Village, whether it was going downtown to see the movies, or when I attended Whitney Young High School. And so when I would travel to Whitney Young, I saw the 
huge disparities mm -hmm. by just traveling a, a couple of miles where I saw all the communities had beautiful parks, mm -hmm. had places where families could go with their children, their streets were clean, garbage was, was picked up, and then I would come back to my neighborhood where that was not the case and where I saw people really struggling to make ends meet, where people were constantly kicked out of their apartments, and where we were harassed by police or immigration because mm -hmm. of who we were. So it was something that I grew up with, and it wasn't until I became older and became a high school teacher and a high school principal where I realized that this segregation is just baked in. The inequity is designed this way, and there are people and institutions that really benefit from it, and a lot of us uh, really suffer from it. And, and Jose, you're going to give um, an expert talk on truth-telling about violence and healing. Uh, tell us more about that. Well, you know, a lot of times when we when we hear about violence, we do, you know, a lot of our communities are ravaged by the insecurity of street violence that we see every day. But we also need to understand that, you know, two-thirds of our city, mostly black, brown, and indigenous people, see the violence of not being able to provide basic needs in their home, even though they have a job, or, you know, cannot own a house or in, you know, one paycheck away from being homeless because of the housing insecurity. Those things are violence also. Those are mm -hmm. things that, you know, many people in my community, I had my son who was victimized by some crossfire and some gunshots in my neighborhood a couple years ago, and I could not get him to see a mental health practitioner for over two years. So that's the violence that inequity really wages on black and brown people here in Chicago. And so what I'm really part of my talk is that unless white Chicagoans and people that benefit from inequity, unless they see that their humanity is also endangered because of this inequity, then things are not going to change. And that I'm really, this is really a call out to white Chicagoans and those, you know, that have seen their livelihoods or their incomes increase over the last two years is that the time is now to do something, uh, but we also, they need to do it with us. And so this is an invitation to them to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And Nan, you're part of a group called Action Ridge. It's a social justice group you helped launch. Tell us about the work that you do. Well, I'm really hopeful that this group of white people can step up. We are doing our best to step up to change the situation that Rico just described. Mm -hmm. So Action Ridge is a social justice group, as you mentioned. We were started five years ago. I and a colleague began the group to try to make a difference. We saw that the inequities that exist are so uh, extreme and so wrong. So we Action Ridge meets once a month. We hear speakers. We view videotapes, films, and so on to educate ourselves, and then we talk about ways that we can make a difference. Once a week, we send out a, a call to action to our over 400 participants now, uh, and we have six groups of uh, committees that focus on different areas of, uh, that, are, that affect injustice and inequality. We also have a discussion group where we read a book and then talk about what we've learned and what we, how we might use what we've learned to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So we hope that, you know, we're making a little bit of headway and it's wonderful to collaborate with other groups and other people who are also are working to make a difference in the Chicago area. Yeah, and, and Nan, in the um, docuseries, you, you mentioned that uh, the membership of Action Ridge 
is predominantly white. How does this affect your fight for equity and justice? Well, I, I say in the series that um, most of what we're doing, we are experiencing as a theory, really, because mm-hmm. um, we haven't experienced the kinds of terrible racism and injustice that people of color have. But as uh, Rico pointed out, we are affected by what happens, too. And we, we need to all stick together, work together to make change. And um, not to think that um, something is going to happen and make things better if we just sit by idly and don't do anything. So I guess we do the best we can with what we are learning and what we know and keep on trying to learn more. Mm-hmm. And what hindrances has Action Ridge faced more recently in the fight against systemic racism? Well, we've been working very hard. One of our focuses is on increasing affordable housing Mm -hmm. in Park Ridge, and we collaborate with other communities that are doing the same. We are in the process of working on a comprehensive plan for the city, and we very much want affordable housing to be part of that plan and that there be a housing plan for the city. We know that that is not going to, you know, that's going to be a drop in a a very big bucket (laughs) Uh, racial inequity, but it's something that we can do. And I think that by stating that this is a goal and working toward it, we put ourselves in a position to collaborate and um, understand Mm -hmm. that everybody needs to make an effort no matter where they live. Uh, Jose, what are some barriers that prevent healthy approaches to conversations about violence and healing? Well, you know, I think some of the barriers is that very basically people believe some of the narratives about, uh, you know, victims, quote unquote, victims of violence and that uh, nothing can be done, that racism is here to stay. All of those things that we know are not true. I mean, the truth, racial healing and transformation framework is really modeled after the truth and reconciliation framework that other countries have used to really tackle racism head on. And that is, we already know, we know that race and racism is a construct made by people, and we also know how to undo that construct. Um, And so those are some of the attitudes that I think are barriers. But the only way that we could actually address them is doing what Non and Action Ridge and other people are doing is by really understanding and committing to healing that is really a commitment to see the humanity in people. And I think one of the barriers that we have is that right now during this period in time, we do not have those experiences and those connections with people that we think are like others that we otherize or that we see as victims or as we see as the victims of racism, well, we need to understand that we are all part of this sacred human family. And the only way we're going to really address racism is oftentimes we need to look within ourselves and see how is it that we could undo some of these racist narratives that we all of us have and really commit to healing, not just from a a feeling and an emotional sense, but also healing means the repair of the harms of racism, what often means policy change and also means allocation of resources, particularly to communities like Native American, African American, and Latino communities, that so much wealth has been taken from them here in Chicago and across the country, and that commitment is part of the healing that we need to do. 
Jose, what is your hope that the audience takes away from the docuseries and your expert talk tonight at the virtual event, whether that's uh, some of what you mentioned or, or even some tools that will be useful as you know they see things happening in the city? Yeah, you know, my hope is that people actually do make a personal commitment to uh, do some more learning uh, about how to undo racism, but more importantly is to be able to be part of a community group or a citywide effort to really discover and undo the bias that people have and go to places like Action Ridge, come to our website, transformshy.com, go to other places where they can be part of this community because this healing and consciousness raising that we've seen over the last couple of years needs to continue, and we need to make this a movement for a racial healing and not just a moment that's gone past by us and we could return to life as normal. And last question for you both. Uh, what still must be done here in Chicago? What's what's most pressing in fighting segregation? Um, and we'll start with you, Nan. That's a big question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we just need more people. We just need greater numbers of people who realize that this is a huge problem in our country and has been historically forever since the, the country was established. I think the strength of numbers is really important. I think what Jose just said about, you know, finding a way to join together, no matter where you live, to make a difference is really important. I mean, even if you can only read a book or tune in to a, a podcast or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that we that that's the biggest issue. We need we need more mm-hmm. more more people of all races, colors, places mm-hmm. that they live to join us. And for you, Jose? I believe our city and our country needs to go through a truth, racial healing, and transformation process where we could all really engage in the experiences that Nan and others have participated in, where although we had 15 to 18,000 people participate in racial healing circles and really make community commitments to each other of how they were going to stand up for racism, we need that number to be hundreds of thousands and millions of people experiencing each other's humanity, because that is is the way in which we're going to be able to look at the policies and practices that harm us and have the energy and and the love that we all need to be able to make these changes. This is not a technical problem. This is a problem of our heart and our willingness to make these changes. That's it for today's Reset Podcast. If you want to hear more conversations like this or about other news in our area, subscribe to this podcast. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon. But that's it for today. I'm Susie Ahn. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.